I'm Madalika Sika, and this is 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52 Women, the podcast. What lengths would you go to to seek a better life, to improve your economic lot and reach your full potential? When you have a child, what will you do to make sure that your child reaches his potential, even if it means you might lose that child? Or are your amb ambitions more important? Those are some of the questions raised by Lisa Coe's debut novel, The Leavers. Lisa Ko joins me now from New York. Lisa, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. The Leavers focuses on the life of Pei Lin Guo, who reinvents herself first as Polly Guo and then Polly Lin. Born in a small village in China, she gets herself to New York. She's seven months pregnant and her new life begins. Tell us about Polly, Lisa. So as you mentioned, Polly um, was born and raised in a small village in Southeast China, and she's an only child, her mother died very early when she was a baby, she doesn't remember her, and she was raised by a single father. And so Polly really grows up um, feeling like she's different than, than most of the other girls in her village. Um, she always kind of wanted more for herself than the expectations that were being on her to kind of get married and have kids and, and stay in that hometown. So when she's um, about 15 or 16, she's actually the first girl in her village to move to the big city um, to, to work at a factory. And it's this sort of wanderlust and, and like, you know, rebellion that, that drives her to also later move to New York. Right. And she actually, when she has moved out of her home and she's working, she becomes pregnant mm -hmm. and she knows that that will close the door for her. Um, the father of her child is uh, someone from her village yep. uh, and she cannot get um, uh, get an abortion because she's not married. So she sees the way out as going to America. Uh, she uh, pays a lot of money that she will owe to smugglers to get her to America, assuming she will be able to have an abortion where she can't um, mm -hmm. because she's seven months pregnant. Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting plot twist uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that you included there, but obviously it was a way of making sure that in the plot you could have her with a child. And even as she, she starts this new life in America with... Um, with a child, she's 19, she's kind of a badass. Is that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she, she's kind of, she's done something that I think most people would find, you know, almost impossible. Like, I don't think I would have had the strength to travel to a new country without knowing anybody there at the age of 19, also with $50,000 in debt and and also kind of maintaining that sense of adventure, you know, despite her exhaustion and having to work really long hours and, and struggle for childcare, um, but, you know, adjusting to life in a new country where she doesn't really know the language um, and she's surrounded by strangers. So, yeah, it takes a lot of strength and, and you know, kind of badassery, as you mentioned, to, to be able to do that. Yeah, and she does what one uh, has read about that a lot of uh, immigrant uh women do. She works first in a clothing factory and eventually in a nail salon. And she realizes she really needs to focus on working um, to get herself settled. She sends her son back to China at the age of one to be brought up by his grandfather with the assumption she will bring him back. Is that a common experience that uh, undocumented um, immigrants here are sending their kids back to be brought up by their grandparents? 
Yeah, it is. Um, and it's not only undocumented immigrants, but also, you know, documented immigrants as well, because, you know, a lot of times when you're working such long hours um, and childcare is so expensive, you know, for, for everyone here in New York and in the U.S., that it's it's hard to hard to find time to balance the two, right? And so um, that does happen quite a lot where if um, there are grandparents or, or family members back in the country of origin that are able to take care of the kid, um, it's it's sort of, you know, a way to relieve some of that economic pressure, right? Um, right. Before the kid's old enough to go to school, but it does, you know, end up, and that's something that we see in the novel, um, kind of forming this, uh, this gap between the parent and the child, because for the first couple of years of the child's life, um, he or she's being raised um, with with other family members and may not have memories of you know their parents. And coming back to the U.S. is, is a huge investment on the child's part as well. Right, and her son Deming does come back when he's old enough to go to school, and they they live a you know a relatively happy life. Um, they live uh, with other friends and uh, in a in an apartment uh and it seems to me that Deming is just not really aware of the fact that they are all people living in the shadows mm. and when i when i think about the immigration discussion that is happening today um a lot of kids are aware that they're living in the shadows why was it important mm. to you that he he wasn't really conscious of that mm. um well i never really thought of it you know strategically in terms of why that may or may not be important to the narrative um it just felt to be authentic to the characters i think um you know and maybe because there wasn't quite that sense of urgent danger around their circumstances at the time um they were you know even though the the parents were struggling financially and you know continually trying to make ends meet and then trying to um you know ensure like a sense of survival um the question of documentation wasn't as central i think as like the immediate economic necessity if that makes sense right right and they do struggle but he has some sense of he is in a home he has a f friends he mm -hmm. you know he seems like he's in a good place um but of course this is the crux of the book his life becomes upended uh he's now 11 and one day his mother just doesn't come home she's yeah. disappeared uh she is just gone with no contact no nothing um it's wrenching and he that i think starts his sort of um almost downward spiral in his own introspection um mm -hmm. but so at the age of 11 he moves to upstate new york to a foster family um is eventually adopted by the family and becomes daniel wilkinson mm -hmm. uh what what was the inspiration for that part of the plot that you know an older child um is left abandoned and mm -hmm. you go down the foster route well it's actually i mean the impetus for the novel based on real life stories that i'd been reading um about undocumented mothers who'd been um detained or deported and their kids um of varying ages were being adopted by middle class white american families and and courts were saying that was a better fit for the child um than being reunited with their biological parents so i was just really i was really shocked and horrified that this was happening um 
And it also, you know, on a on a storytelling level, kind of brought up a lot of questions for me about assimilation and and um, class class status and and you know cultural and social capital. So that was something I wanted to really explore with Deming's journey. Um, what was it like for these for these children to be taken away from their parents and being raised in these very unfamiliar environments? Um, yeah. Yeah. To me, that, that's what was really interesting about it because you talk, it's about transracial adoption with a difference because mm -hmm. it is about a Chinese child who's actually American born and is um, moved into a foster situation, you know, just before teenager. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, we're usually the kind of transracial adoption stories we hear about are Chinese girls bought from China in right. infancy. And you're examining here uh, the sort of cultural vestiges of his life that mm -hmm. he was aware of, maybe unlike an infant who's adopted. Absolutely. Um, so it's not just his, the cultural vestiges of his um, language and his name, but even, you know, he's a city kid. He was yeah. born in New York City and moves to a town upstate with 6,000 people. That's right. part of his culture too. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's kind of coming from a place where everybody is, you know, from an immigrant family or, you know, in a place where he's one of many kids of color to nearly all suburb, right? And, and part of part of his difficulty with assimilating into that is that he's got these parents don't really understand, I think, the nuances between, say, Asian and Asian America and, and don't really have the resources to help him adjust in a way that's easy for him. Yeah, and even though he has all the material trappings um, that um, most, you know, would give children a comfortable home, he's he's unmoored. Um, yeah. When his mother leaves, he's unmoored because obviously his mother has left, and more importantly, he just has no idea why. Um, right, right. So you tell the story through uh, the eyes of Deming uh, in the third person, and you alternate between that and Polly's story in the first person. And I think that that's for me, where the book really shines. Um, mm -hmm. She's a very complex character. Um, I like her because she's not what you kind of expect. You know, she's not a martyr or a sort of sacrificial mother. Mm -hmm. um, she has mm -hmm. goals and ambitions that she wants to realize. And I don't know, maybe some people might call her selfish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how did you develop her character? Um, well, I took, I took sort of the facts of her journey and kind of thought about what kind of character would be able to do that and survive. And I, I do think it takes incredible amount of, you know, grit and, and sacrifice and survival instincts to be able to do that, right? Um, and, you know, when I thought of the circumstances of her motherhood and, and of the separation from her child, I think, you know, that also would have a really profound emotional effect on her. Um, but I also really did want to be conscious about writing a female character that I would enjoy reading about. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, been, you know, am craving like adventure narrative from the point of view of um, a woman of color, right? And, and to me, that just kind of feels like I want to write a, a character that feels nuanced and, and complex um, and interesting and authentic, right? And so, yeah, as as you mentioned, like it is interesting because some people say, "Oh, she's very, she's really selfish woman," um, but on the other hand, I just feel like that's kind of realistic. You know, nobody's one note all the time. They're, you know, everybody's entirely sacrificial. Um, everybody's yeah. about some points in their life. And so. Well, I think it's a very clever twist because when you start off with this story about this woman who has taken, you know, these incredibly bold steps and she is bringing up a child who she's clearly devoted to. Um, and one would think that 
what we are going to be engaged in is a story about, you know, bringing my child back at all costs and mm. it doesn't quite work out that <laughs> way. Um, she, uh, it, it's hard to give, I, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, you know, we, Daniel grows into a young man, college age. He's still clearly unmoored. He's still looking for why did my mother leave? And yep. we hear about her. Um, and with both of them, I think what has been, what struck me was, I think that one thing that people don't realize that if you are not from the dominant culture, you have to continually reinvent yourself. And mm. I think they both, they both do reinvent themselves. Do you, I mean, not quite multiple personalities, but there are, they have to code switch essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, I think of that sort of code switching as, you know, what they have to do to survive, right? So um, they're kind of being put in situations where, you know, they're in um, different class and cultural contexts and um, literally their names have been changed, right? So there's right. a very kind of like very literal identity change, um, but it's kind of like, who do you have to, you know, who do you have to like switch to in order to survive in that current situation, right? With, with whoever you're surrounded with. And that's kind of that sense of flexibility that I think comes with being able to know, you know, different cultural backgrounds, being able to come from different cultural backgrounds, but it also can come at like a sense of loss. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It was really, uh, you know, he feels it quite acutely, obviously. And when he goes back to the city and is in an area where he is hearing, you know, people speak Fujianese, you know, he has some cultural touchstones that mm. he he really can't reveal in his right. all white upstate, um, you know, high school. Yes. And for her, I think it's a very different kind of code switching, you know, as she develops her career and her status and um, the, the secret she has to keep, mm -hmm. put it that way. Right, um, right. Which again, I think gets back to the notion of well what is her motivation and mm -hmm. you could say well because she's so selfish well no <laughs> i think it's i think it's more nuanced than that yeah yeah i think she's she's dealing with a really profound sense of loss and grief right and and so for her really like her primary motivation is trying to figure out how to keep living in in spite of this right so it's it's like thinking about the kind of psychological tricks that we play I think all of us play when we're trying to suppress something painful in order to keep on going, you know, and I think that's something that she kind of struggles with um, throughout the present present day storyline. Right. Now, you um, obviously didn't stop writing this book this year. Uh, <laughs> you you um, touch on a lot of themes about immigration and assimilation. Um, it, it just seems very current. Did you you know, obviously you didn't know when you started writing this, that this, we would be living in this time, but yeah. what, what do you think it adds to the conversation um, as we read it now mm. in the fall of 2017? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, I started writing it about eight years ago. So it was, it was definitely something that was very timely then, but um, a lot of questions about documented immigration and deportation were quite as front and center in the news as they are now, even though they were still going on. Um, but yeah, you know, I would love for the novel to really 
put like a personal face and a and a context on um, undocumented families, you know, and and to kind of humanize a lot of the news stories that we do here and and provide a little more context into terms of you know why people immigrate and the different reasons behind that and um, you know what really happens behind the policies that are being enacted um, that that separate families. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a really compelling and beautiful story with a wonderfully complex female character, and we certainly need more of those uh, in our lives. The book is called The Leavers by author Lisa Ko. You can read about this and other great books by women at 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52Women.com. And you can hear these great authors on the podcast of the same name, wherever you get your podcasts. Lisa Ko, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me.